where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Gaffin and activates jamming to the side of the net. Butch Navich right there. And Kakanen will make the save with a minute 11 to go in the second period. Yeah, Pavel Buchnevich looks sharp on that play right there, coming right down the middle of the ice. Cleared by the Blues, ahead to Buchnevich. Breakaway, shoots, he scores! Pavel Buchnevich brings it in on Vemelka, and the Blues have scored first. They take a 1-0 lead. Down low, Buchnevich, what a play, score! Walks it in, backhands it underneath the bar. Two in the game for Butchnevich, and he's made it a one-goal game for the Blues. I'm still undefeated in centers. Pavel Butchnevich with, with his really debut performance last night down the middle of the ice alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. Grant Francis. Oh, in for Tanner Hendrickson. <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. Muscle memory, it turns out, <laughs> is hard to avoid. Boy, Tanner's on his way for a big mistake going to Columbus for a hockey game. Didn't feel that way for Pavel Buchnevich last night, though, who looked like a natural centerman. Alex, I was saying all day yesterday, maybe this was just yet another BKO. I don't know that Pavel Buchnevich is going to be able to make this work. It's hard for me to imagine a guy just immediately transitioning from being a 24% career face-off winner to being able to be competent, much less good at it. And then in his first game, taking more than like four face-offs in a game, he finishes 9-6 and six in the dot, goes 60% on the night, and wasn't just the best Blues player on the dot, but was the only Blue center to win more than 40% of his face-off opportunities. I was impressed. I got to say, I didn't see that coming. It is against a poor opponent. That is important context. But the other Blue centers who have been in that spot all year long also went up against that same poor opponent and they were not able to win more than 50% of their face-offs. I was very impressed by what we saw in game number one by Pavel Buchnevich at center. What did you see from him last night, Alex? For what it's worth, Joe Vitale uh, with me on pregame last night said he had a conversation with Steve Ott, who I think is a career 54% from the face-off dot in his NHL career. And Joe talked to him about the face-offs, and Steve Ott said, He'll be fine. said, I promise by next season, if he's our center, he's going to be one of the best centermen because he said he's got nastiness to his game. And frankly, that's what you saw from Buchnevich last night. I mean, he's got grit to his performance at the center spot, which is part of the reason why he won 75% of his draws. But on top of that, 
he played the position so sound. And Craig Berube had talked about it after morning skate of, you know, there's a learning curve that goes into it because typically when you're a winger on the faceoff in the defensive zone, your job is just to go right up to the blue line and defend the point shot from one of the defensemen. But when you're the centerman, You've got to take the guy that's taking the face off also. He could go right to the front of the net. He could go out wide also. you got to follow that person around. And Buchnevich did that to a T last night. But he also creates offense. And that's what you love about Buchnevich right now. It's the 200-foot game that he provides to the Blues. And if you missed JR's article on The Athletic, go check it out. But he spoke with a Rangers scout that scouted him over in uh, Russia. And he spoke with David Quinn, who was his coach with the Rangers. And both said he's an elite centerman because of his 200-foot game commitment. And you saw that last night. The the Yakub Verona goal that started in the defensive zone by Pavel Buchnevich, and it ended with a goal in the offensive zone. He is so impressive, man. I love him. Love him. And when you think about, okay, what does this mean, big picture? Like, if he could actually be a long-term center for the Blues... I think it changes so much for this team, man, because I saw this earlier today. Uh, Andy and Rono, they're uh, two. Andy and Rono. Yeah, they're two hockey analytics nerds. Sounds like you and me. from my heart, really, uh, with the way that they break the game down. They put all of these, like, advanced numbers out there on how good players are, how bad players are. In this case, we really like them because they talked about how great Pavel Buchnevich is. They tweeted this out this morning. As they said, the Pavel Buchnevich trade is already one of the worst in Rangers franchise history, if not the worst. Buchnevich has been the best Blues player since 2021, and he would also be the best forward on the Rangers not named Artemi Panarin. You know how much I love Chris Kreider. Hot damn. For them to say that about Pavel Buchnevich says a lot. And the reason why I bring this up is because You look at what he is defensively. You look at what the point production has been for him over the last few years. We're talking about a guy that could be. This sounds crazy to say. I know it's one game. I'm not trying to overreact here, but here we are. I'm going to do it anyway. Let's do it. He could be a number one centerman on a championship caliber team. Again, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But for Buchnevich to look that good at center ice in his first real game playing down the middle, Man, that is noteworthy to me. You look at his point production over the last three seasons in the NHL. He is almost exactly the equivalent of Sebastian Ajo in what he has done in a points-per-game producer uh, for Carolina. Sebastian Ajo is at 1.01 points per game over the last three seasons. Pavel Buchnevich, 1.02 points per game over the last three seasons. If you look over on Hockey Reference, they've got a stat called point shares, which essentially means like offensively, defensively, how good are you? It's basically a power ranking, like wins above replacement for baseball. That's point shares for hockey. It's point shares for basketball. The guys around Pavel Buchnevich right now, these are the the name of the list or the list of names right behind him. Braden Point. <laughs> I've heard he's good. Kevin Fiala. Eh. Patrice Bergeron. Hot damn. Right there. That's the one that I wanted to bring up to you, Alex. Circle that name. Because when I think about what Patrice Bergeron has meant to the Boston Bruins, I'm not telling you right now that Booch is going to be that guy. Could Pavel Buchnevich be that guy, But Alex? why can't he be that guy? That's, that's my question. And when we were talking about this before we started the show, going over our rundown, I brought up, I mean, in all reality, 
you got to be better in the faceoffs. Although he was great last night, and you you have to be the defensive-minded centerman. But as BK likes to point out and remind everybody, best penalty killer in franchise history, right. Pavel Buchnevich, ladies and gentlemen. But it's the 200-foot game that I just told you a lot of people pride Pavel Buchnevich in. Guys, go look at Patrice Bergeron's numbers. He's never been the 40-goal scorer. He's never been the 90-point scorer. But what he is is he's consistently a 70-75-point to 75 point producer, and he's consistently one of the best face-off men in the NHL and consistently one of the best defensive-minded centermen in the NHL. Pavel Buchnevich can be that, and if he does get to that level, it changes the outlook of this team. For good and bad. Now, the bad side of it, not to get all Debbie Downer oh, here. Come on, man. We're doing this today. He is a free agent in two years. And if Pavel Buchnevich is this type of player, not going to be signing for another five-year, $5 million deal. But that's two years from now. As we know in Blues history, let's not worry about that until he's a pending UFA. We'll figure it out at that point. We usually do with those types of guys. Just don't give him the C. But the good side of it is you're going into next season a couple of weeks ago with Braden Shen and Robert Thomas, and we're begging for one of those guys to take that next step and be that elite number one centerman. That's what we're viewing with Robert Thomas. Pavel Buchnevich could absolutely be a Patrice Bergeron for this team if he becomes your number one center for your top line and is the defensive-minded centerman who can go up against the other team's top lines like the McKennons and the Austin Matthews and things like that. Then that pushes Robert Thomas down to a second line, and that's a mismatch, in my opinion, for the opposition because Robert Thomas is typically somebody you could go up against another team's top lines. That creates the depth that we're talking about. And if there's one person that I'm going to put all of my money in the middle of the table on and say I would bet on him taking that step into being an elite position player, it's Pavel Buchnevich. I think if this works out, we are officially having the conversation about where Pavel Buchnevich ranks among the best forwards in the NHL. Now, I've been trying to have that yeah, conversation should be. for about a year and a half now, but if he ends up working out at center, it just makes his value that much greater. It's also going to make it, to your point, that much harder to be able to resign him because he's going to get more, I would imagine, than what you had to end up giving to Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo because he's essentially... Thomas mixed with Kairou. He has the goal-scoring production in his career of a Jordan Kairou, and he has the ability to distribute, maybe not to the same degree as Robert Thomas, but it's at an extraordinarily high level. You look at his shooting percentage over the last few years, Alex, he's at like 17%. That sounds like an unsustainable number, but he's done it for three straight years. He was at 17%, 15%, and this year he's shooting at a 20% clip. He's got a really good shot. Just doesn't use it a ton. It's kind of the same frustration that a lot of people have had with Robert Thomas. Yeah. But he he doesn't shoot it a lot. And over the last three seasons, he has 70 goals. Right. Pretty damn impressive. So you take all of that in. You think about what he does on the penalty kill. You think about what he does defensively as a 200-foot player at 5-on-5. Five five. We're going to start having those conversations. And it's going to be a question of, Maybe he's not the C. Maybe he's not like the leader, the face of the franchise, any of those things. He might be the single most important player on the Blues moving forward. I, I know people don't put a lot of stock in plus minus, but if you don't, understandable. I do view it because when your players play in 18, 19, 20 minutes a night, that's a lot of opportunities to be on and off the ice. BK, ask me how many times 
since January, Pavel Buchnevich has been a minus in a game. I mean, the team's been terrible since then, so I would imagine quite a lot. One. Really? One time. Now, going back to the uh, end of January, because he was injured for a little bit of time, he returned on February 11th post-trade deadline, or um, post-All-Star break, he's been a minus in one game. Think about how bad this team has been since post-All-Star break. And Pavel Buchnevich, who has been averaging 21, 19, 16, 26, 22, 18, 19 minutes a night. He's been a minus in one game. He's also had a total of one game where he has not scored a point. All of those factor in to being a top-line player for your roster. And we all knew that with Buchnevich as a winger. Now we just figure out, can he be an everyday centerman? And I would almost guarantee you that Craig Berube is going to keep him in that spot for the rest of this season. You might as well. You have nothing you have to, to lose and, and honestly everything to gain. You have like to. You look at it into the offseason. If you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes and you can have Buchnevich as your number one slash two center, depending on how you view Robert Thomas long term, and then Thomas in that second spot, it allows you so much flexibility because either you can keep Shin as that third line center or you can kick him out to wing. And now suddenly you go into the offseason and you're like, all right. We can take a chance on somebody. The other thing that that allows you to do is it gives you even more of an opportunity to evaluate those wingers that we've talked so much about. Because I mentioned it to you the other day. I don't think that you could have put one of the new wingers on that line with Logan Brown and get a real evaluation of them. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to Kapanen. It wasn't fair to Verona, who had a good game, but last night, by the way, got his first goal in a Blues uniform. Congratulations to Verona. I I like his game. I do, too. He's not going to be a 200-foot player. I don't think that's what you can expect out of him, but he's got some juice, (laughs) and he brings some serious speed to the team. Look where he scored that goal. Outside of Jordan Cairo, you haven't had that in a long time, man. So he's going to be fun to watch. And now that you've got three centers, they allow you to evaluate not just this year, but potentially next as well, any of those wingers that you go out there and bring into the fold. So whether they trade for one, they sign one, whatever that looks like in the offseason, this gives you a real evaluation period. Or if they draft one. That's what I was just going to say. This Now is like, you can find who, wherever it fits best for that player, you can fit them into your lineup next year or in future years. This is the excited fan talking here, so understand where I'm coming from. But first of all, Doug said that their goal right now is to find a center in the offseason for that top nine spot, but it might shift to a winger if Booch falls in line. Okay, that opens up more possibilities because there's a lot more wingers and centermen that you'd be looking at. But let's say you fall into the top three, top four, and all of these guys are centermen. Now Braden Shen can become a winger for you, or this new guy that comes in, he can start as a winger for you and become a center if Booch is there. But like you just said, versatility, if the player can be a top six centerman, Booch can start as a winger, enter as a center. You've got the versatility there. It's the Ali Marmol special. I got guys who can do everything, and I'll put them out there, and we'll figure it out and as it we might go. depend on the matchup. They, Absolutely. Like, depending on the night, you might have somebody else that's starting at center for you, depending on yep. what you need in that particular game. He's Alex Ferrario. We have Grant Francis working with us today back in the studio we are broadcasting live out of the e and b granite studios at the Sintine community ice center will be here up until two o'clock coming up at 11 45 we'll have ask us anything so if you guys have any questions today 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show but coming up next can slew salvage this season with an impressive performance over the weekend i wasn't expecting that out of them yesterday 
What if they continue with that kind of offensive performance? We'll talk about it next and talk about the Tigers as well as they're fighting for some some real chance to be able to move on in the NCAA tournament, depending on their seeding. We'll talk about it all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It was a nice game last night for the SLU Billikens, or I guess yesterday really. Uh, put up 82 against George Mason, and they're moving on to the semifinals in the A-10 tournament. Alex, I, I've it's been a weird season for SLU. I've had a tough time putting a finger on exactly what this team is and what their ceiling could be. But now you're looking at what they've done in the A-10 tournament, and it's not perfect, but it's been pretty impressive. And their game against George Mason, man, that's about as good as we've seen them offensively so far this year. They just beat Dayton at the end of the regular season. They've got VCU tomorrow. If they are able to beat VCU and they play in the A-10 championship game, regardless of how that game ends, whether they get the automatic bid or not, does that salvage the season, salvage some of the bad taste in your, your mouth if you're a SLU fan? Absolutely. Because seeing the final score and like reading the, the stat lines after the game yesterday for SLU, my initial reaction was, okay. Because I've seen this with SLU before. You'll go up against a team like that and they dominate. And you're like, oh, yeah, SLU. But then you go against VCU, and you don't get that performance, and you're thinking, this is the same old slew Billikens. There's just no, there's no growth. It's just kind of stagnant. But if you put that same performance against VCU, it changes my outlook on the team because it feels like progress. It feels like when you go up against a better team or a supposed-to-be-better team, and you go out there and you dominate, then I look at it and say, okay, well, they got the best out of their roster right there. Maybe that was a one-off. But that's growth, in my opinion, rather than always falling short to these teams. Because I felt the same with Mizzou this season. Like, you, you watch them, and I didn't expect much from Mizzou. Sure. But when you take on Kansas, you're like, okay, yeah, that's what happens with this team. But then you beat Illinois, and then when you beat Tennessee, I'm thinking, oh, damn, this is something you don't see very much. Too little, too late for me. Really? If they're able to win the A-10 tournament, that salvages the season. This season was always about NCAA tournament or bust for SLU. And so for them to be in this spot where they needed that performance against George Mason, it was necessary for the, the health of the program, frankly, the health of the fan base, to be able to watch this team. I, I Winning one game against VCU, while it would be impressive, doesn't do enough for me to salvage what was a super disappointing year for the Billikens. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I think they have to win the tournament. They have to win the tournament. The A-10? Yeah. I, I think they would have to go out there, beat VCU, and then the likelihood is they would probably end up playing against uh, Dayton in the in the championship game. They're playing Fordham. Dayton is. Um, I, I think that's what it would, would require for me to feel like this season was salvaged. Anything less than that feels like they left a little something on the table. Because we've talked to Rocky about this. I talked to Carter Chapley about this at the uh, at the soccer game last weekend as well for City SC. We were up in the press box. He covers the team. And it's like, man, I, this was supposed to be the year that everything came together. 
you had Javante Perkins. You had Yuri Collins come back. Javon Pickett is still there. You had Gibson, Gibson Jimerson. Like, it, it's all there. Mm-hmm. It's all there for you. You had the talent. You have the coach that has been able to implement not only his system but his culture at SLU. They did the equivalent of what Illinois did for that stretch when it was Kofi coming back every year and you knew what the team was. Yeah, and so when you aren't able to take advantage of that during the regular season, and man, they had opportunities. You had real opportunities for big times wins in the non-con, and for the most part, you fell short. And not only did you fall short, but then you lose to SIUE. You lose to UMass early in the conference season. Those are the kinds of losses that just weren't able, weren't supposed to happen this year. Not with this team, not with this kind of a veteran group. And when they do, it throw it throws everything to the side, and it it takes everything off track. And so when I saw that you had um, the athletic director Chris May last week come out and publicly state, "Yeah, we're, we're building around Travis Ford. He's going to be back next year." I think he was giving a preemptive strike there to the fan base of, "Hey." Don't be calling for this guy to get fired because we're not doing it. It's not happening here at SLU. I I think that the fan base is going to have some unease if that ends up being the case and you end up losing to VCU tomorrow in the A-10 tournament. And it's just kind of a lost season with no real certainty in the future as to what the program is going to be. So barring them winning the A-10 tournament, I think this season will be remembered as a disappointment. Yeah. And I don't think that a win against VCU is going to be able to salvage that. Speaking of disappointing, uh, the Illini. Whoo, buddy. I, I don't know what to make of them, dude. Tebow um, called it. Tanner was right. They have struggled all year with Penn State for whatever reason. This is just a matchup that they can't get figured out. Illinois scored 46 in the second half. That should be plenty to be able to overcome a team like Penn State, which is not great. They're fine you weren't able to do it. And this was despite the fact that Jalen Pickett didn't go off this time. He only gets 12 points in the game. (laughs) Illinois, Tanner has told us all year long, I don't like this team. There's something about them that's just off. And now you look at where they're at going into the NCAA tournament. My guess is that they'll be an eight or a nine seed. And at that point, given what this team's done all season long, I don't think you can expect anything more than maybe a first-round win. And given what the expectations were, again, for them coming into the season, that would be a pretty big disappointment. They seem to have the polar opposite of what Mizzou has this season, and it's leadership. Like, I watch Mizzou, and you can tell that it's if it's down in a game, they're coming back just from the body language, the mindset, the mantra of that team. And, like, Dennis Gates is one thing, but it's watching Kobe Brown. It's watching Demoy Hodge. It's watching certain leaders on that roster and on the court and how they act. I didn't see the Illinois game yesterday, but it's been the narrative of the games that I have caught to where when they're down, and it's what Brad Underwood has always talked about, they just seem defeated, and there's no coming back from it. And like I asked Tanner earlier this week or it was last week, I feel like it was expected because when you transition such a group like Brad Underwood did in one season, this is bound to happen. But, man, what a massive letdown for a team that felt like they were just destined. I mean, they had, what, one of the best recruiting classes in yeah. all of college basketball. And two of the best transfers as well with Shannon and Meyer. I, I just 
I, I can't really explain it. I think it's been a really impressive job what Brad Underwood has done to be able to keep this thing on the tracks because there was a time midway through the season after Penn State, Mizzou, and Northwestern losses where I thought this thing was going to go really poorly, and it was potentially something that could leave them out of the tournament entirely. They got it back on track, and they were able to salvage their season in a way that you never did. But losing in the first round of the Big Ten tournament against Penn State is certainly not going to help them. I, I could see them. I think right now they're probably a nine seed, and I wouldn't be shocked if they end up dropping down to the ten seed because wow, really? Because of the way that the Big Ten is set up. Like, that's that's facing off against probably what a, a, the second yeah. seed. So that that might be another first round exit for that team. Could be. It yeah. could be. Mizzou gets started with the SEC tournament today. They've got Tennessee. Alex, I think this one's pretty simple. Tennessee right now, if you're looking at any of the advanced metrics, they're a top 10 team in the country. If you're looking at bracketology, they're a two or a three seed right now, depending on what ends up happening the rest of the way. Tennessee is an excellent, excellent team. And defensively, they are outstanding. By most metrics, they're considered to be the best defense in the country. Mizzou was able to beat them on the road earlier this year. It's the best win, in my opinion, for Mizzou in maybe the last decade, given that it happened on the road, the quality of the opponent that you were able to beat. It was a remarkable win for Mizzou. If they beat Tennessee again, this time in the SEC tournament, Alex, I think that that will answer any questions that Mizzou fans have about the capability of this team going into the NCAA tournament and not just winning in the first round for the first time in more than a decade, but potentially getting to the Sweet 16. Because if you can beat Tennessee it proves that you can beat one of the top three seeds in this NCAA tournament, depending on what the matchup is specifically. So I I think this is a big one for Mizzou fans, just to open up the thought, the hearts and the minds of Mizzou fans to believe, okay, maybe this team can make it a little further than we were expecting. So we got our hopes super high early in the season when they went on that stretch of beating Illinois, and I forgot who they beat after Illinois, but it was the other ranked opponent where we were like, oh, damn, this team's, that's where we got to the point where like, could this team get a sweet 16? And then we got knocked back down to earth a little bit later on in the season, and then we got uh, hyped back up. This one against Tennessee, I, 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 I'm not so much with you to where like Sweet 16 becomes a reality because it's just so up and down with Mizzou, but I would be very hesitant to bet against a team like that that gets the swag that you would acquire from beating a Tennessee team with a double bye in an SEC tournament. And if you do this, I would venture to believe that SEC tournament victory might be in the cards for this team, which if you win the SEC tournament, that's going to push you up to... A five seed? Maybe a four seed? I think their max right now is probably a five. Like, if you win it all, maybe you get to a five. Other than that, though, I think that the reality is you're six. probably looking at a six or a seven seed right now. So, at worst, that's a three seed that you're going to be facing off in the second round yeah. with for Mizzou. So, as long as they don't have a first-round upset, which, as Mizzou fans, we're all very accustomed to when it comes to March Madness tournaments, but... I mean, getting a three seed in the second round, you're right. That's an easier path than what I expected Mizzou was going to have to a Sweet 16. Yeah. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. This year, by the way, Mizzou has wins against Iowa State and the University of Tennessee. If you're looking for upset potential, Iowa State right now in bracketology is a five seed if the tournament was today. 
Tennessee is ranked as a three seed if the tournament started today. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll have Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get your questions in. But coming up next, we'll have number 13 on our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2023. Guy that I thought going into spring training was going to be more important than I feel today. We'll talk about that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number 13, Juan Yepes. High drive, left field, going back. Schwarber looking up. A two-run home run! A pinch hit home run! That's what it sounded like in the postseason as Juan Yepes hit the only home run for the Cardinals. Really the only offense that the Cardinals had in the opening round of the postseason. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. At number 13 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023, it is Juan Yepes. If you're new to this segment, the way this works, Alex, me, and Tanner all put together our list of the 20 most important players. We averaged them out, and that becomes the list for the show. I had Juan Yepes at number 14. Tanner had him at number 12. Alex had him all the way down at number 16. If we were making the list today, I would be closer to Alex than I am to, or than I was earlier in the offseason. Last year was an impressive season by Juan Yepes. By just about every measure, he was about 10% above league average offensively in just 75 games with the Cardinals. He hit 12 home runs and had 30 RBI. Now, his on-base percentage was nothing to write home about. It was 295, but he slugged the ball very well, and he ended up coming up with a huge moment when it mattered the most. Does he have some holes in his swing? Yeah, a little bit. Last season, he did have some struggles, especially against off-speed pitches where he hit just 152 against them, but overall was pretty damn good against both fastballs and breaking balls. This spring has been a bit of a mixed bag for him. He has not hit the ball as hard as you would hope. He does not have a home run so far. He's one of the very few players for the Cardinals that really hasn't taken advantage of spring training the way that most others have. And Alex, this gets us to the playing time question. Yesterday, I went through and made up like a, because I'm a complete nerd. Oh, yeah. He had the Excel sheet and everything, guys. A mock week of what the Cardinals playing time would look like. And I think the problem for Juan Yepes right now is he's like the second option 
at every spot. You're looking at designated hitter. Well, he's the secondary option behind Nolan Gorman. The problem is you're also going to want to get Wilson Contreras and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt some opportunities at DH. Well, and I would even go so far as to say you're going to want to get whoever's starting at second base the other person's bad opportunities. If it's Gorman, it's going to be Donovan. And then the fourth outfielder. If Jordan Walker really is starting this team, the fourth outfielder is going to be getting reps at DH. And in the outfield, you could put Juan Yepes out there, but you have four guys that are significantly better defensively, and you can at least make the argument that offensively, they're equal to Juan Yepes. So Ty goes to the guy that's better defensively. He just seems to kind of be the odd man out right now at every position, and that's not to suggest that he won't start the season with the Cardinals. He very well could. I think he probably should. But I think his role is yet to be determined, and it almost does require a bit of an injury or somebody underperforming for him to get a true starting role with the Cardinals. Alex, where are you at on Juan Yepes? That's why I had him at 16th, and I mean, I, I didn't consider keeping him off of the list because he's going to be impactful for this team, but he's so low down because every time I'd sit there and try and argue putting Juan Yepes higher up, I'm like, yeah, but then I have this guy, and yeah, but then I have this guy, and it just kept doing that with Juan Yepes. At some point this season, he is going to be impactful because of his bat. I mean, Albert Pujols doesn't label Juan Yepes a guy who he sees a lot of himself in for for just saying it. Well, Albert's saying that because he does see some of that in Juan Yepes. We saw. I mean, to be able to hit a home run in the postseason, it's something a lot of guys haven't been able to do. That shows you he can handle that type of pressure. But it really does come down for Juan Yepes to somebody not being able to perform. A cold streak for one of the outfielders. Maybe Jordan Walker doesn't start the season with this team out of camp. Maybe one of the second basemen goes through a dry spell, and that's where Juan Yepes jumps in into the DH spot. But for right now, I look at him and I say, I don't know where your at-bats are coming from, and I don't know if you've got the, the maturity to be a bat who's only seeing opportunities one or two times a week to be consistent enough. So best case scenario for me is Juan Yepes steals a role from somebody and becomes an everyday bat in your lineup. I just don't know and don't see that yet. I think the real question for Juan Yepes that needs to be answered, and this is something only he and the Cardinals know currently, is what's better for him? Is it better for him to be a bench bat, say five out of the seven days, and then start twice? Or is it better for him to play every day down in the minors? Because I think that's going to have to be the conversation. And if Juan Yepes wants to be up in the major leagues, that's probably the best role for him. Now, I would also add this, Alex. This is not to suggest that Juan Yepes is a bad baseball player. He's not. He's a very good hitter. He's a talented hitter. He's a guy that I think two or three years ago would have been batting sixth probably every day in the Cardinals lineup, and they just would have found a spot for him. First base one day, left field one day, DH the next day. Maybe he gets a day at third base. He's playing all over the diamond because you need to get his bat in there. He basically becomes Jose Martinez. Like he's a, a bizarro Jose Martinez because instead <laughs> of being contact, he's more power. Hey, Jose Martinez played a corner outfield spot and first base, so Juan Yepes is good enough. And you needed him to because he needed that bat in your lineup. I think what this says, and somebody on the text line mentioned it, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, I really like Juan Yepes, and the fact that he's this low on your list shows just how deep the offense is. I agree. I think he is a, in some ways, beneficiary, in some ways, a victim of the depth of the offense. 
If you needed a guy to go in there and bop every day, Yepes should be in this lineup every single day. But you don't. And so he might just be a super overqualified bench bat for you early in the season. Man, am I crazy to be saying this? If Juan Yepes is really in this position where we look at all of these options and bats and how they're going to perform here, and you know we're not even bringing up where does Alec Burleson fall into this for how good of a camp he's having and then Mason win, does Juan Yepes become a trade piece? Because I, I, I understand what you're saying of you might just have to start down in Memphis and say, like, this is it and just keep taking your reps. But he's in the same spot that Tyler O'Neill was in terms of Memphis. Go ahead and put him down there, but he's got nothing else to prove. The last two seasons that he's played in Memphis, 34 home runs, a 921 OPS last season. Two seasons ago, 56 home runs and a 971 OPS. 56 home runs. That might have been combined between AAA and AA. No, I'm looking. He had 27 home runs. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was looking at the the, the – um... Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> oof, that would have that, I was like, I was say, God damn. You got, you got nothing really else. have a new conversation you got nothing about else one No, that was 50, 56 runs that I saw okay, there. Okay, that makes sense. But still, sense. I mean, 25 home runs, 63 RBIs, and then you've got tw- tw- uh, 13 home runs and 30 RBIs. Those are different numbers, ladies and gentlemen. But, I mean, he is at the point where it's like there's nothing else he can do down in the minors. So, do you get to the point where you say, maybe we got to send Juan Yepes elsewhere to find us something that we can use? No. Because, like, right now you don't necessarily need that other thing. At the deadline, or we have can't take that role from being a bench bat? And he can't out get to that consistency. Let's find out first. I don't think you're losing any value right now because he's still got so much control left from the Cardinals. It, I think we do this sometimes where we're like, hey, this guy isn't playing. You need to get rid of him for somebody else. Why not just have really good depth offensively? Like, we're going to come into a point this year where – Maybe Nolan Gorman gets hurt. You know what's really nice if Nolan Gorman gets hurt? Having Juan Yepes as a backup DH option. Maybe you have a situation where, uh, God forbid, knock on wood, fingers crossed this doesn't happen, maybe Nolan Arenado gets hurt or Paul Goldschmidt How gets hurt. How dare you? And they're on the you? IL for 10 days. You know what's really nice when that happens? To be able to put Nolan Gorman at second base, Brendan Donovan at one of those other two positions, and have Juan Yepes ready yep. to go as your DH option there for you. So... I think he's going to have opportunities this year. What we're really talking about when we say the limited opportunities is early in the season. Yeah. Because there will be somebody that underperforms. There will be somebody that gets hurt. And when those things happen, Juan Yepes is the next guy up. I think even before Alec Burleson. Burleson's really the guy that I'm watching right now and I'm saying to myself, I'm having a tough time figuring out what his role is and for Burleson's this Burleson's having a better camp and yep. spring training than Juan Yepes right now. Yeah, I... I will be curious to see how this all unfolds. At the deadline, I think the plus for the Cardinals is these guys were discussing as the, what's their role? Where are they going to fit in? What's this end up looking like? Those are the guys that other teams are going to be calling about. They're like borderline top 100 prospects, or in the case of Juan Yepes, have shown the ability to succeed at the highest of levels in Major League Baseball already. These guys have some serious value around the league. And oh, by the way, they're cheap, young, and cost-controlled. Every team in baseball wants a player like that. The good news is there's a player on Team Japan right now that loves the uh, pepper grinder uh, move that Lars Nupar is doing. And hey, if you've got assets to make a move for him, why not get him? Number 13 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023 
It is Juan Yepes. Coming up next, we'll have an Ask Us Anything segment. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, for myself, Alex Ferraria, or even Grant Francis, you can get them in next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything Sports or Otherwise. If you guys have any questions, get them in on the text line now. This one comes from the 314. Boys, when do you think the official outdoor barbecue season begins in St. Louis? Or is it okay to just do it all year long? I say Mother's Day personally. So I think there's a difference here, and it might be a slight one, but barbecue season versus grilling season, I think of barbecue as like a cookout for everybody involved. Grilling season might be just like you and the wife and maybe your, your little one. That's just my own disclaimer. But for either, I think it's whatever you're comfortable with. Like for me, 60 degrees. Once it gets up into the 60s, I'm good. I, I, I'm fine being outside. I got no issues with it. Others might say more like 70, but once it gets into that 60 degree range, I'm good with it. It's so like, for example, earlier this week, there was a really great day to go out and grill. I, today, yesterday, not so much. Yeah. So I, I think it's really just personal preference. But hey, man, if you're if you're down for it, anytime is is good for grilling. That's interesting because I look at it the other way. I'm the grilling season to me is like outside for like the entire time sitting out there. Barbecue is just where I turn it on, go out and throw chicken on for sure. dinner. Um, I would say when the grass turns green, when the grass is green, that means it's time for you to get outside and. Uh, Get mean on the grill. Green Envy's got my grass looking Damn green right already. they do. Three going to start cutting it. 399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. This one comes from the 314. BK, how does it look or how does it feel to be looked look down upon by the other shows? They seem to at least like Tanner and Alex, but I'm really not so sure about you. I, I did hear what Carrie had to say earlier today. He called me uh, barbecue chicken. Didn't appreciate it's that, funny first because, of all. You know, you're from Kansas City where they make a lot of barbecue yeah, and you're yeah. tiny like a chicken. It's, it's funny. It's funny how that works. It's very funny. That's I okay. think they like me. BK, uh, Rockio called me the backup board op one day, so. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! I think most. I'm not sure Randy likes me. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I think everybody else. BK, no. For the most part, at this station, uh, at least doesn't hate me. I, I think they're okay with me. Um, I I would consider like Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers both to be very good friends. I've always got along very well with Carrie Davis. We've done a bunch of shows together in the past. Um, so I I think most of them like me. This is all just friendly competition. And sometimes you say things in friendly competition that you don't mean, right, Alex? Yeah, buddy. Of course <laughs> they do. Works. Yeah, of course they do. Uh, look, I, I'd like to make a stand for you, if yeah. that's okay. I, I don't know. Um, first of all, it's all good fun, but I also don't appreciate the disrespect for my teammate. Barbecue chicken is one thing, but 
to act like there's no com- competitive fire in you, it's just frankly incorrect. I heard uh, Jackson and Tim McKernan talking earlier today about how they, they feel like that it would be an easy three-on-three with us no matter who they have on their roster. I heard Carrie and Brooke talking on my ride in saying that it doesn't matter who steps in front of that net, they'll take them down. I don't appreciate the disrespect, and for them not to think there's a competitive fire in you, uh, I'd like to show them differently. So I've got your back, buddy. I will say, as much as people um, don't necessarily view me as the most competitive person in the world when it comes to, you know, the sporting events, like, I am incredibly competitive when it's something that I'm good at. The problem is, like, the one thing that we have done that is athletic is the home run derby. Yeah. I knew going in I was going to be awful at Same. that. And I told everybody involved to be aware this is not going to go well. Yep. I have not swung a baseball bat since I believe I was seven years old. I took a grounder off of the lip of my, uh, or off of the heel of my glove. It rolled straight up into my lip, and I decided this is not the game for me. Busted my lip wide open. It's good. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't my sport. Now, if we get out there and play a little three-on-three hoops, it's going to go a little differently. Now, I'm listen, Carrie was a professional athlete. Do I think that I am actually better at basketball than Carrie Davis? Of course not. No, that would be really dumb of me. Would I give it my all and be a like a pest on the basketball court? Of course. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm here for. Carrie and you one-on-one, I'll throw all my money on Carrie, plain and simple. Somebody said competitive fire is one. Competitive fire with any semblance of coordination is another entirely. That's also a very good point. But, uh, yeah, don't don't judge our home run derby off of the fire that's in us. Because, as BK said yesterday, we're baby pit bulls ready to turn into uh, adult pit bulls. We're ready to fight. All right, final thing here from the 980. Guys, my friend has what is called a wishing well reception where you didn't have a wedding registry or anything. Basically, you just had a box. You put money in an envelope and drop it in the box. It didn't matter how much was in the envelope because it is a wishing well. You could put a dollar. You could put $1,000. It didn't matter. Uh, Would you all consider going the old school route of having a wedding registry and having people bring gifts to the wedding, or do you prefer the wishing well? Which option do you like more? So it depends, at least for me, where you're at in life. Um, If... You and your husband or wife uh, don't have a place yet and haven't been living together, like my wife and I, I'd rather the gifts because I need plates, I need silverware, I need a lot of things because we didn't have anything and I couldn't take all of my parents' appliances. But if you've been living together, I know you and Kara had an apartment together, so you guys probably had a lot of lifestyle stuff. That would be more of a wishing well thing because then I just want the money to purchase things that we still need or need to upgrade. So uh, it really depends on where you're at in life, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, My wife was more on the present side. I was more on the let's just make back as much as we can from the wedding side of things. Weddings are expensive. There's no way around it. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Now, it is, in my opinion, well worth it. It will go down as one of my favorite days of my life, my, my wedding. Um but it is super expensive and it takes a lot to be able to pay that back. So if you can get a little bit of that from the people that go, it's a, I think the tradition of weddings, there's a lot that could be improved upon it, but whatever, neither here nor there. I I personally would go the wishing well, but it really depends on your significant other. We kind of split the baby and went down the middle and had some people give us money 
Others were going the gift route. Yeah, so we a put lot of people the, do what they the want. The only thing we put on the registry, though, was stuff that we really felt like we needed. If we wanted it, we decided not to put it on the registry because then we could go get it ourselves with the money that people gave us instead. Yeah, and so. people are going to do whatever they want because, like, we had certain individuals that came and just gave us money because they knew that we needed it. Other people bought stuff off of the registry, and frankly, coming out of it the way we did, we were cool with it. Somebody on the text line said, DK, if you challenged the morning show to a Peloton tournament, I believe that you would be able to win. That's not a team sport. I appreciate that. And it, he, really he would win, but his teammates, BK or uh, me and Tanner... <laughs> We'd be over. You want me to be totally honest? I think Carrie would kick my ass on the Peloton. Oh, well, yeah. Have you seen that man's legs? I was going to say, that man's legs are like tree trunks. Yeah, no, that that would go poorly for and me. And Randy rides bikes 24-7. Nah, I, would, I would beat Randy. I'm confident in that. Randy rides bikes like every no, day, man. I, I would beat the hell out of Randy. Are you Multiple saying, times. Are you saying this out of aggression because you don't think Randy likes ten, you very ten much? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. What about Brooke? You taking uh, Brooke in a Peloton? Uh, Brooks in really good shape. So I I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. I I don't have a. Do you think I could take down Randy on a Peloton? No. Wow, I didn't even consider that. Just All right, that's it. We're breaking. Your up legs as a are team. like mine. That's true. <laughs> and I don't exercise my legs, so I'm out on that. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into NFL quick hitters. But next, these are the two Blues with the most to prove the rest of the season. Both of them had a really nice game last night. We'll tell you who they are next here on 101 ESPN. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Blues in. Perico with a shot. Kacken in the save. Rebound to the corner. The puck comes off the wall. Thomas to Cairo. Now to Perico. Wrist shot. And that one hits wow. the crossbar and goes up. Into the glass and then cleared out by San Jose. There was so much velocity on that shot curve. It rings the crossbar and ends up in the neutral zone. Alexandrov ripped the shot. That deflected wide. McDonald got a piece of it. Alexandrov keeps it. They put it in score. Colton Pareko down the right wing. Chips in and Alexandrov pass. And a loser on the board. It's 2-1. to one. An impressive game last night from Colton Pareko. And it's continued to the trend. Of impressive games, uh, plural, from Colton Pareko. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex Pareko had an unbelievable play on the Sammy Blay goal that made uh, Blay's goal possible, honestly. 
He's now plus five in his last five games overall. He has a goal and two assists in that stretch. I'm not pretending to tell you that he's some offensive force, but you are seeing him skate more. You're seeing him bring the puck up the ice a little bit more. I think he's getting more involved in the rush. It's been fun to watch. This is the player that... I thought he was going to be when the Blues gave him that big long-term contract. And we were talking earlier today about the Blues with the most to prove the rest of this season. I think Colton Pareko was on that list. Talking with Jamie Rivers, hearing him on the fast lane as well. He's talked for a long time about how he thinks Colton Pareko is part of the solution, not the problem. I know you feel the same way about about him. Don't you dare give him credit more than me. I think what you're watching right now is a guy that wants to be a part of this for the long haul. He heard his name involved in those rumors, and I think one of his best games that I've ever seen him play was the day before the NHL trade deadline. He was playing like a man with his hair on fire. (laughs) If you get more of this moving forward, I do think that the Blues will say, you know what? Let's not even listen to any offers on him during the offseason. Let's try to build around him. The way that we're building around... Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Pavel Buchnevich, that core group of players up front. We think Colton Pareko can be that guy for us on the blue line, and we're going to configure things around him to make things easier for him. Is that what you're seeing from him? Absolutely. That was the second best game of the season for Colton Pareko, and the first being that other game that they played against the San Jose Sharks where, I mean, he was just a man on a mission. He was everywhere on the ice. This one, though, last night, Seeing him take the, for a lack of a better phrase, effort mentality with the puck on his stick is the type of player they want from Colton Pareko. Even Van Ryan said after the game uh, with Curbs and Joey last night, that's what we want from Colton Pareko, to command the ice. That's what Eric Carlson does. That's what Drew Doughty does. That's what the best defensemen who have wheels and skills do when they're on the ice. They take the puck and they say, no, you got to take it from me rather than the passive mentality. And I do think this is a lot of Colton Pareko being put on alert. I mean, we've heard Craig Berube say multiple times he's not having the season we expected out of him. We've heard Mike Van Ryan talk about on post games with Curbs and Joey saying that they want more from him. And we've even heard him say that he can be better. Some of it, I, I was asked this last night. Brooke was sitting up uh, top of the press box with me. Um, and she asked me, she's like, what do you think is missing for Colton Pareko? And I said, honestly, Colton Pareko was put the label of being the alpha on the ice, and I don't think he ever should have had that label because Colton Pareko doesn't have the alpha mentality where he's the leader on the ice, and that's no disrespect to Colton Pareko because Colton Pareko is a very strong defenseman. Colton Pareko needs that other defenseman with him to be vocal so that Pareko knows where he's at, so Pareko knows where he's going. Like Jay Bomeister was this way. Bomeister was probably one of the most quiet players off of the ice, but on the ice he was vocal with Colton Pareko of, hey, I've got over here, you get over here, and then you have the reach that goes into it. The problem with this is think of the partners that Colton Pareko has had since Jay Bomeister retired. I mean, you've gone with Nico Mikola, not a very vocal player on the ice, Vince Dunn, wasn't a very vocal player on the ice. Nick Letty, not a very vocal player on the ice, it doesn't seem. I I just believe if you're going to build around Pareko, which I've said all along that's what they should be doing, don't trade that away, build around that. You need to find an assertive defenseman to play with him. And I don't know if that's somebody on this team. I don't know if that's somebody available via free agency or trade deadline or offseason trade. But Colton Pareko's play in the last five games 
is why, in my opinion, if you trade him away, your team is going to be searching for that type of player for the next three to five years. you got to find the player that works with Colton Pareko. I think what we might be seeing is that Colton Pareko is a number two defenseman. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with being a number two defenseman, especially on a $6.5 million per year contract. I, I think he's had just a flat-out bad season. I, I do not think he's been good for the vast majority of the year, and I think that he is to blame for most of that. I, I just don't think he's lived up to expectations. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. Sometimes guys just have bad seasons, and you can't explain it. Maybe it's injury-related. Maybe it's just as simple as, for whatever reason, didn't work out that year. Your hope is that this doesn't become a trend, and he continues either plateauing or being on the decline for future years, but it's like having a number two starter in your rotation and expecting him to perform as an ace. That's not fair. You shouldn't be asking him to do something that he's not capable of being. Or I know for a lot of NFL teams, they ask number two wide receivers to be the number one guy. It's just not going to happen. Some guys just don't have that kind of skill set to be the go-to player. I think this year in a lot of ways, like I really like CeeDee Lamb. I'm not sure C.D. Lamb is a legitimate number one wide receiver on a championship team. I think he's an overqualified number two and an underqualified number one wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Why I think they should be in on somebody like DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. To bring us back to Colton Pareko, I think he could be a very good number two defenseman for a championship type of team. But you got to have that number one guy with him. And that could be a number one right-handed defenseman that's in those really difficult situations constantly. If you go over to, like, for example, some of the analytics sites have um, the situationally, how difficult is your situation that you've been put into? Pareko ranks in the 99th percentile in that, which means among all of the defensemen in the NHL, 99% of them have easier assignments on a night-in, night-out basis than Colton Pareko. That's because he's almost constantly starting in the defensive zone. He's being put into his own zone all the time. It's because, think about it, how many guys on your team do you feel comfortable right now starting in the defensive zone? It's not often. Yeah. Not not many of them. Honestly, it might just be him. It, and Pareko, even with him, it's, it's questionable. Pareko sometimes. and Scandella, maybe, but Scandella's iffy. So you look at that, what does it mean moving forward? It means you got to find a partner for him. Yeah. We thought it could be Nick Letty. I was skeptical on that all along, but the Blues thought he could be that guy. He wasn't. They thought it could be after they traded for him, Marco Scandella. It wasn't. They thought maybe at one point in time it could be Tory Krug. It hasn't been. You've got to go out and find that guy. I don't know who it is. I don't know where you get him. I don't know how you acquire him, but that's got to be the goal. And to get the most out of Colton Pareko, I think that's how you do it. Well, and uh, to do that, you have to sort out your other options right now on the left side and figure out what you're doing because as it stands right now you can't find that player unless it's somebody internally and frankly Tyler Tucker's still raw to be in that spot I don't believe he's ever going to get to that level can Scott Perunovic be there can't stay healthy right now from what we've seen do you really want him going up against the other team's top opponents that's why the Jacob Chikrin idea was so intriguing that's why the Hampus Lindholm when he was available was so intriguing and that's why when you look at the free agent market right now there's really not guys out there that make a whole lot of sense. So you've got to sort out what you're doing on the left side with your defensemen right now in terms of can we move one of these contracts away? How do these players fit into our lineup? And then you can assess how you go out there and find that defenseman that works well with Colton Pareko. And we're getting a ton of people texting into the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. You guys are making excuses for Colton Pareko. I love this one from the 314. Shut up! This is why I don't listen. 
you can say we're defending Pareko and we're just making excuses for him all we want, but watch the games. The last five games, he's been noticeable every single night, and I just went back and looked at it. The lines he's been deployed against, the top lines for the opposing teams, they've come away with a total of two points. Five games and two points from top lines with Colton Pareko and Nick Letty. Now, that's good. Per, that's a good performance by Nick Letty also, but the problem is it hasn't worked all season long, and now you're just seeing the best of it. So you just got to figure out who's going to work there, and you got to sort out your left-handed defenseman. Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to you got to get a number one defenseman to put in there with Colton Pareko. If you guys are mad at the defense, I'm with you. Like It's been bad this season, but I think that we're misguided in terms of where we're placing that blame. Right. I, I think the guys that we should be talking about moving on from, and we should be talking about moving on from some of them, I think it's Tori Krug. I think it's potentially Nick Letty. I think it's those guys on the left side that are more likely to be shipped off elsewhere this offseason than a Colton Pareko. There's one other guy that I briefly want to give some flowers to based on his game last night and the situation that he was placed in. Oh, it's like the Bachelorette. It's Alexi Torupchenko. Grant, let's play Craig Berube. His thoughts on Torupchenko's performance last night. He got moved up to that top line with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I thought he performed admirably. Here's what uh, Craig Berube had to say about him. I really liked him. You know, a lot of puck touches, good things with the puck. Great play on a goal to drive the net. Um, he did some good things. I don't know if he's going to be a long-term answer on that top line. In fact, my guess, like if I had to bet on it one way or the other, I would say he's probably not going to be. However, I am curious to see what this looks like the rest of the year, and I think they should continue playing him with that line because I want to find out what that skill set can bring to Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou, even if it's not specifically Alexi Torbchenko that's on your top line. We talked in the open today, and if people missed it, you could check out the, our conversation about Pavel Buchnevich at center um, on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If Pavel Buchnevich is a long-term center for the Blues, and you go out to the market this offseason, and you're trying to find an answer on a one-year deal to help you out on the wing in your top nine forwards, it is way easier to find this skill set on a one-year deal than it is to find some kind of a goal scorer or a distributor, or distributor, excuse me, or a legit top six center. You can't get those guys on one-year deals typically, especially not for a reasonable market value deal. You want to find somebody that can give you some resemblance of the Alexi Torbchenko game where they're going to play with physicality, they're going to play with size, they're going to open up space for Kairou and Thomas? You can find that on a one-year deal. I don't know if it's a one-year deal for this player, but, I mean, there's a player that's going to be available free agency that matches that to a T is Tyler Bertuzzi. Traded away from Detroit to Boston. Go look at what he's doing with Boston right now. He's having some success. He's that player. That goal that Tori Krug scored last night, was solely because of Alexei Toropchenko, and it's exactly what we expected. Toropchenko was driving to the front of the net. He dragged two defensemen with him, which took the one guy that was supposed to watch the trailer, Tori Krug, away from the play. Thomas makes that pass, and Tori Krug puts it in the back of the net. Every line, Craig Berube wants to set it up with a sniper, a playmaker, and a power forward who goes to the front of the net. That's how he wants to design his lines. And frankly, right now, you only got one player who's playing like a power forward, who goes to the front of the net, and it's Alexei Toropchenko. So that's going to be, if Buchnevich is that centerman, that's going to be the biggest need for Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube in the offseason is find another power forward who clears space on the ice. 
The Blues are back in action tomorrow night in Columbus. That's where Tanner Hendrickson is right now. He's going to be in attendance to watch, really, the game of the year, honestly, oh. between the Blues and the Blue Jackets. The, the battle, battle for the Blues. For the blue in Columbus. That's tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Alex will have pregame coverage tomorrow starting at 5, right here in your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including a team that is making some puzzling decisions if they're trying to win in 2023. And when you look at this NFL free agency slate and you look at the top 10 players on the list, it sure serves as a reminder to me that we're going to see a lot of trades this offseason. We'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters with Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start with this, Alex. The Cowboys are making some moves. They have decided to restructure contracts for Dak Prescott and Zach Martin. Doing so clears $30 million in cap space. We don't have to get into everything that this means for those specific players. It basically means they're going to be around for a while in Dallas, which was expected. Zach Martin's one of the best guards in the NFL. Dak Prescott, I think, is a top 10 quarterback in the league. But you don't do this for no reason. You clear cap space because you need it in the NFL. Otherwise, you're kicking the can down the road and you're making it more difficult to have flexibility in future years. Alex, what do you think they're up to right now? What are the Cowboys moving money around to be able to do? Are they trying to bring in something of significance? Two spots for me. One is the cornerback. Jalen Ramsey comes to mind. Two is a wide receiver. And you brought up the wide receiver. I didn't even think of that. But uh, for how much the talk of getting Odell Beckham Jr. to come in, you know, they walked away from Amari Cooper or moved on from Amari Cooper, and then they were still searching for that number two with CeeDee Lamb being the number one guy. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins makes a lot of sense with his name being in the conversations. Uh, Did did the Chargers officially buy out or, or release Keenan Allen? No, they actually have him around. They stuck with yeah, him? They're, they're okay. expected to keep him. Adam Thielen's available now. So one of those two positions, to me, seems to be the way Dallas is going. And it makes sense because that's the two areas I would say that they need to address most. I think so, too. I, I think DeAndre Hopkins makes a ton of sense. Jalen Ramsey's the other one that makes a ton of sense for them. I think they're going to make a splash. There's too. one other player that has reportedly uh, been seeking a trade, and that's Darius Slay, the Eagles cornerback, one of the best in the league. Last year, he was a big part of their success defensively. Yeah. By the way, watch the Eagles this offseason because they've lost a lot of talent along that defensive line. Javon Hargrave is arguably the best free agent available this offseason, which kind of speaks to the class in general. <laughs> but they've lost a lot of talent along the defensive line. They've got a linebacker that's up for free agency this offseason, and Darius Slay is a free agent. Uh, that defense was one of the big keys to their success last season, and they're losing a lot of talents. I'm not sure that they're going to be quite the same team next year that they were this year, but Darius Slay might be another answer to the Dallas Cowboys. Speaking of teams making moves, the Minnesota Vikings earlier today announced that they are releasing Adam Thielen. Now, first of all, Adam Thielen's one of the best stories in the NFL over the last decade. This was a guy that went to Minnesota State in college, ended up becoming an undrafted free agent by the Minnesota Vikings, and then went on to have, what, a nine-year NFL career, 2021 to 2022, 
And all he did was put up 7,000 receiving yards and 55 touchdowns for his home state Minnesota Vikings. Super impressive career for him in Minnesota. But he's going to be 33 this year. He's no longer the same player that he once was. He's fine, really good in the red zone, but probably best served as a number two or number three wide receiver in the league. Where would you like to see Adam Thielen end up, Alex? People aren't going to like to hear this, and I guess I should allow you to say it, not me, but... You know I ain't saying it. Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, they, they, they need they need a, a, a slot receiver. They need a guy who could just make those, those easy first down catches without talking about Travis Kelsey, who, of course, is always there. They've got their deep threat in Valdez-Scantling. They're moving on from Juju Smith-Schuster. Adam Thielen, I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins makes more sense for Kansas City. Don't know if that's going to happen, but they make a lot of sense. Honestly, the Dallas Cowboys make a lot of sense if they want to get in on an Adam Thielen. Um, Maybe a Carolina Panthers team if they're going all in to get their top quarterback this season. Chicago's another one that would probably make some sense. I've got them on my list. Um, Somebody texted in and said the Jets. I mean, if they're loading up for Aaron Rodgers, you'd want some wide receivers. There's a lot of places that could... Hell, the Patriots. This is a prototypical yeah. New England Patriots move. Julius Edelman 2.0 right now with Adam Thielen. Uh, Adam Thielen, I think, makes sense a lot of places because he's a really solid veteran who's going to make not very much money. I think he especially makes sense, though, for a team that is contending right now. Buffalo is one of those teams oh, that yeah. I would put on the list. You mentioned the Chiefs. If I'm the New York Giants, I have him on line one right now. I say to him, hey, you saw what we did last year with no wide receivers really a part of this thing. What if we added you to the mix with Daniel Jones? He says, uh, wait, your quarterback's Daniel Jones? Nah, I'm out on that. I'm with you. I think that the first two with Buffalo and KC make more sense for him. Here's another one. What about Baltimore? If they're going to make this thing work with Lamar, now if you're Adam Thielen, I'm not signing unless I know that Lamar is going to be there next year. But if Lamar is back, he makes a lot of sense for the Baltimore Ravens as well because they need veteran pass catchers to go along with Lamar Jackson. And their new offense, I think, is going to be better suited for a guy like Adam Thielen. So I could see him making some sense there. Makes sense for a lot of teams. Good player, Absolutely. great locker room guy, and he's not going to cost you a whole lot. So he's I'll be gonna, curious to see where he ends up. He's going to be one to watch for me next season. Fantasy football purposes, he might be one of those sleeper picks for next year, depending on what team he goes to. I mentioned earlier the Dallas Cowboys are making moves to be able to create some flexibility. They're not the only team doing that, but I think this other team that's doing it is doing it for a very different reason, <laughs> and that's the Tennessee Titans. Oh, They released veteran center Ben Jones earlier today. He's considered to be one of the better centers in the league it opens up a little bit of cap space for them I also think what this is really doing is it's them saying listen we're not going to compete this year we're going to be really bad dude like we got to take on a year of hurting to be able to get to where we want to go and Alex when you look at what this means for the Titans I don't think this is the last big move that they're going to be making if I had to make a bold prediction for this offseason it is as follows I think Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill are no longer Titans by the time that the season starts. Both of them? I think both are traded. Wow. I think Derrick Henry will have a new landing spot, and I think Ryan Tannehill will be a starting quarterback somewhere else. I would disagree on the Derrick Henry part of it. I would What's ag- the point of having him if you're the Titans? At least for a year to not put all of the pressure on Malik Willis. Because I do agree Ryan Tannehill's not going to be their quarterback. Uh, they're going to lean heavily into Malik Willis. I don't Willis. think Malik Willis is going to be their starting quarterback. I think they know he's not the guy. 
but they're not going to be able to draft one. And, and who are you going to go out there and sign if you're Tennessee? Sign whoever. I mean, bring in Jameis. You're going to be bad. Like, it's going to be a terrible season then this I'd year. I'd at least stick with Malik Willis and not have to spend anything on it and keep Derrick Henry for one year to at least keep you competitive. But if you, if I told you you can get a second-round pick for a 28-year-old running back in Derrick Henry and you're going to be a bad team for that at least the next two years, Derrick Henry's going to break down. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to happen. It might be three years from now. It might be five years from now. The overwhelming likelihood for a guy that's had 300 carries, 378 carries, and 350 carries in three of the last four seasons that runs the way that he does, he's going to break down soon. If you're them, you should trade, honestly, Derrick Henry. If you're them, you need to, to get out of this purgatory of am I a playoff team or not. Like They're going to be terrible this yeah, year. You're they not, might win three games. You're not going to just... You're not going to get into the – it's not going to be like what you were a few years ago where you got into the playoffs and then you made all the way to the run to the uh, conference final. Like, that's not what this is anymore. You're old. you got a lot of positions that need to be moved around. You're spending a lot of money on guys who just frankly can't live up to it. Robert Woods, have they moved on from Robert Woods yet? Yeah. I know they were seeking – oh, they did. Okay, because I knew they were, they were seeking a way to move on from it. I'm with you that they need to make a decision, but it just feels like Derek – I mean, if you get a second-round pick for Derek Henry, you probably have to. You know where I would move him if I was them? Baltimore. Oh, God, yeah. Detroit getting a guy like Derrick Henry to put into that offense, just put him in the Jamal Williams role. Jamal Williams is a free agent. He potentially will not be back this year. Jamal Williams led the NFL in rushing touchdowns this season. If you put Derrick Henry, who is far more talented than Jamal Williams, into that role, I think you could have a lot to write home about if you're the Detroit Lions. Honestly, Baltimore would be the other one, too. That'd be a great like spot that Lamar if they Jackson. could make it work money-wise. Yeah. I think that he is the type of guy. Like, Chicago Bears. If, Sh- you're, the, if you're the Bears, yeah. you have so much money to spend right now. Your second-round pick, I think, is 54th. They traded their pick for God, Chase Claypool. That's a terrible trade yeah, looking that back. that one was brutal. If you could trade a mid-second-round pick for Derrick Henry if you're the Bears and you're able to figure out your left tackle position I think they're signing Orlando Brown I I think that's where uh, one of those types of teams is where he should end up going somebody that has a quarterback either on a reasonable deal or a rookie contract where does Ryan Tannehill go is that Vegas if they don't draft a quarterback I think they want their long term answer is it I mean it can't I don't think it's Carolina no I think they're getting their quarterback (laughs) in the draft (laughs) as well it does scream Indy you know what could be interesting is him in Atlanta. I could see him yeah. in Atlanta. If they don't get their quarterback in the draft because Arthur Smith has a history with him. He had him in Tennessee as his quarterback. They had a ton of success with one another. I could see that maybe working out. Washington makes a ton of sense God, for him. God, yeah. I think he's a perfectly Does fine quarterback. Eric enemy though, probably wouldn't want to. Why not? Tan- wouldn't you want – I mean, he's going to want to – uh, not, I mean, you're not going to get a Patrick Mahomes, but you're going to want a mobile quarterback. Tano's got some mobility. Yeah, I guess it's true. He does. I mean, he did have that season where he went off with the rushing yeah. touchdowns. Hey, anything's better than Carson Wentz if you're Washington. All of this is the backdrop to free agency, which I think officially begins next week, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFL. Alex, I'm going to read the top 10 free agents according to uh, The Athletic Okay, this year. This has got to be a good list of names. Number one, Lamar Jackson. All right, cool. <laughs> Pretty I get that. Pretty damn good name. Number two, Eagles defensive tackle Javon Hargrave. Good player. 30 number years th- old, though, but I'll take it. Number three, Jesse Bates, a safety for the Bengals. Maybe like the 10th best safety in the league. Good safety, nonetheless. Number four, Orlando Brown Jr., the offensive tackle from the Chiefs. Like the, again, the 10th best left tackle, maybe, conservatively speaking. All right, this is good so far. 
Bobby Wagner at number five, a 33-year-old linebacker is good, but again, 33 years old. James Bradbury at number six, the Eagles cornerback, 30 years old and had to settle for a one-year deal last year because he was terrible the year before. He's fine. Jawan Taylor, right tackle for the Jags, okay. Mm. Tremaine Edmonds, okay linebacker for the Bills. Levante David, again, a 33-year-old linebacker for the Bucs. And then Jamel Dean, who is a fine cornerback for the Buccaneers. This free agency class is trash. Mm Mm-hmm. The reason I bring that up is because when I talk about guys like Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry or you go to the DeAndre Hopkins market as well, man, I think there's going to be a lot of trades in the NFL this year because of how terrible the free agency class is. Teams are going to be looking for high-quality players, and I think they're going to find them on the trade market. And I think that's going to be the first night of the draft. You're going to see a lot of that move around, or maybe the day before the draft. Does it, does it feel like that Aaron Rodgers is that first trade chip to drop? And as soon as that one goes, then everybody else starts wheeling and dealing. I think over the next week, really five days or so, you're going to start seeing a lot of trades that are made because teams are going to want to get ahead of the free agency market. And then I think there will be a second wave of trades right after that, the top-end talent from this year's class and free agency signs. Then you'll see that, that first wave or that second wave of the trades that take place. I'm here for it. Coming up next, something or nothing Cardinals edition including one player that is currently in the World Baseball Classic that's added a new element to his game. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hit to left field, our center, Phillips going back, hit well, and gone. Grand slam for Nolan Arenado, 4-0 Team USA. So what it sounded like yesterday as Team USA ends up getting a win in their scrimmage. Nolan Arenado with a grand slam home run. That's no surprise, Alex. buddy, MVP right now, ladies and gentlemen. What is a surprise, though, is where he hit it to. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of something or nothing Cardinals edition from spring training. Something or nothing, Alex. Nolan Arenado has not hit a single home run to dead center or to the opposite field over the last two years. He's now hit two, including that one you just heard yesterday in spring training. Both of them went to center. Now, this one wasn't exactly dead center. It was more to the pull side, but it's the furthest or it's the closest to center 
if you look at his uh, his home run spray chart over the last two years, it's the closest thing he's had to center over the last two seasons. Something or nothing that Nolan Arenado is starting to spray the ball all over the field, especially when it comes to his home runs. That's absolutely something. So this when, when the reason I saw so much success last year from Nolan Arenado, we saw so much success from Nolan Arenado was because he was able to hit it to the left side and hit those home runs at Bush Stadium, which, frankly, if you look at Bush Stadium, it's probably the easiest path to hitting those home runs. But it was a lot of left-side home runs from Nolan Arenado, and that's just kind of the swing trajectory, the way that he swings. He's always able to get those low-and-away balls and, and, and drive them deep. If you're starting to take those straight away to center field or can move them to go oppo taco if you're Nolan Arenado, I, I mean... We had the, I think it was more likely to happen of the Cardinals have two guys with 75 home runs combined next season. That creates that even more likely to happen if you can start hitting at the center field. So if you're able to do that, that's 40 home run potential. And I know he's hit 40 home runs before, but a lot of that was his cores field splits that you can go off of there. But, man, if you could start hitting deep center field, if you're Nolan Arenado, and maybe move it around the field a little bit more, you become an even more dangerous man this season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's fascinating to me. We got two texts both simultaneously that came in on the text line, one from the 618, the other from the 636. Guys, it means that he's getting older and his bat is slowing down. Just kidding, I hope. Another <laughs> from the 618. It means that he's getting old and slower on his swing. Not always intentional, maybe, possibly, that came from Jay Seggs. It's possible that that ends up being the case. It's actually unlikely, though, because based on the numbers coming out of spring training, Nolan Arenado's swing is actually faster this year than it was last year. And this is where I find it really interesting, Alex. We know Nolan Arenado is a guy that puts in a lot of work during the offseason. My answer to the question is this is something. It's something worth watching. I always say spring training doesn't matter until it does. And what I mean by that is when you get something like this, that is starting to become a trend. It's not a one-off. It's not a, hey, he randomly had a su- had success against one specific type of pitch. No, no, no. This is now becoming a trend where he's hitting it to center. It is a change in his swing path. It is a change in the way that he operates as a hitter, and I think it makes him a more well-rounded hitter going into 2023. You've said all along, you think Nolan Arenado is going to win MVP this year. Mm-hmm. If Nolan Arenado adds a little bit of speed to his swing path, which means that he's going to hit the ball potentially harder and further, which helps you at Bush Stadium, especially early on in the season, I think you might be onto something there. I, I think Nolan Arenado could end up having his most successful, his most productive season at the plate as a Cardinal this year. If that happens, he's winning MVP. Absolutely. We saw what happened last year when he was pretty damn good at the plate. If he's even better than that this year, whoa, buddy, watch out. Alex, what do you got for something or nothing Cardinals edition? So I don't know if you saw this, but Ali uh, spoke with the media earlier today out at uh, Jupiter talking about the bullpen, and we spent a lot of time talking about this. Something or nothing. This was Ali's quote. When you start to look at the bullpen spots, it fills up quickly. Some guys are going to be left out that belong. Depth is a good thing. We always want it, but we have some hard decisions to make. Something or nothing, when you look at the guys that have performed well this season, it's not the names you would have expected. Jake Woodford, nine innings pitched, seven strikeouts. You've got Wilking Rodriguez, four innings, three strikeouts. Zach Thompson, four innings, five strikeouts. You're starting to see this bullpen fill up with names that is going to leave potentially a Dakota Hudson off of this roster. I I know you can't 
probably move on from Chris Stratton, but they might be forced to say Chris Stratton might not be making this bullpen at the start of this season. Your bullpen could have Andre Pallante in it. It could have Jake Woodford in it. It could have Wilking Rodriguez in it. You could have a very young and non-name recognition bullpen to start the season for the Cardinals. Just jotting down my like quick notes on who I think is a lock to make the bullpen to start out the season. I think there are already seven of the eight spots that are locked in. Like just based on options. And actually, you know what? I think I know what their bullpen is today. I forgot can to I, put can Rodriguez. I guess? Yeah. So Verhagen, Helsley, Gallegos. Those are three of them that I'm yep. locking in. Zach Thompson. Yep. Um, Wilking Rodriguez. Yep. Andre Pallante. Yep. You got two more. Oh, God. Two more. This is where it gets. Jake Woodford? Nope. You're not putting Woodford in there? Here's uh, where it gets hard. Yeah. Uh, is it Stratton? Yep. I don't think Stratton's going to be in there. And I know he doesn't have options and you signed him. But, like, I, I don't know if you use Stratton in there. And then Jordan Hicks is the other one. Yep. There's your bullpen. Jordan Hicks I'm with you on. Although Jordan Hicks has not had a good camp. One, he's not getting strikeouts. And, two, he's not giving you length at all when he's coming into games. But, like, with Chris Stratton and Jordan Hicks – I would rather have Jake Woodford in that bullpen. And, and frankly, I, I mean, the other one is up for grabs right now. I guess you can throw in Jordan Hicks. The problem with that is Hicks doesn't have options. He's not going anywhere. He's yeah. going to be up in the big leagues, and he's going to be in your bullpen this year. Your, your guys that are guaranteed, I think, right now to have a spot, Helsley, Gallegos, Palante, Hicks, Verhagen, and Rodriguez. Those guys are guaranteed spots, which essentially means, and he's right, Ollie, what he's saying here, like to answer the question directly, something or nothing, it's something. And it's one of the reasons why I think they decided not to go out and get one of those left-handed relievers. I think they made a mistake by giving Chris Stratton that deal. Agreed. It was one of my questions at the time was, if this prevents them from going out and getting a more proven reliever later on in the offseason, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to be upset with them for bringing back Chris Stratton. It, in and of itself, is not a bad contract. It's like $3 million bucks. you got a proven middle-inning reliever to bring in this year. That's fine. I've got no problems with that in a vacuum. But we don't do the offseason in a vacuum. The problem is what it ended up preventing you from doing, which is going out there and getting somebody who could really help you. That was better than Chris Stratton for like $6 bucks. Not a big-time contract. So I think that was the problem with the deal for Chris Stratton at the time. And it now, if they decide that he's definitely making their opening day, con- day roster because of the contract, it now means there's basically one spot up for grabs, and it is that left-handed reliever possibility. And I think Zach Thompson is the clear-cut and obvious uh, guy to fill in that role. It's wild, too, because – and, I mean, I know the numbers probably aren't good for people with Dakota Hudson. I actually don't mind them. I mean, he's got the same amount of walks that Jake Woodford has thrown, and Woodford's had more innings thrown. But, I mean, he's given up seven hits, but he's only given up one earned run, and it was a home run. I mean, Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford should be a part of this roster, but that goes to the comment of Ali saying there's going to be guys that don't make this team that should be on this team. Yeah, I'll be curious to see, like, if there is somebody worth monitoring here. Tanner mentioned the other day he thinks that Dakota Hudson's on on watch for making the opening day roster. Like, I agree. I think Dakota Hudson right now would not be on their opening day roster. Jordan Hicks is the guy. Jordan Hicks is the guy to monitor because I think I'm not saying that this will happen, but if I was to have, like, a takey take right now, my take would be that it's possible that Jordan Hicks gets traded before opening day. That is not based on any reporting. It is just based on reading the tea leaves of looking at their bullpen yeah. right now and saying to yourself, where does he fit? 
if he's not going to be as effective as what they want him to, and it allows them more flexibility within that group, maybe he's the guy that has value to another team that's saying to themselves, man, we could really use a guy that we could fit in as our closer today. Maybe they get something for him. I don't know that it happens. I would bet against it. But if they end up needing more flexibility in the bullpen, maybe they say like, hey, you know what? Tinkins makes more sense for us in the bullpen this year than Jordan Hicks does, and it opens up some flexibility yep. for us. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, who is the most important blues throughout the rebuild? Alex has a name that surprised me for that. We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, it's time for the Junk Drawer, Alex for. Alex Ferrario, what do you have for us today? Well, boys, we uh, we all like movies, right? Grant, you could join in on this as well. Everybody's a big movie fan here, right? Of course. And we all know that every once in a while, movie comes out with an awful sequel, and you think, why the hell did they even do that? Well, I got a list, boys. I got a list of the 10 most, how do they phrase this, unnecessary sequels in the last 10 years. Okay. Can you come up with some of these? So it's tough because it's the last 10 years. So think short-term sequels or follow-ups to movies that were unnecessary. Uh, The first one that comes to mind in the opposite, like I'll just give this out first, Top Gun, the new one, was one of the best movies that I've ever seen. And if they put that on this list, I'm going to be furious. It is not on this. So they did this list correctly. And this is from um, movieweb.com. Okay. Um... I'll give you a, I'll give you a little hint. So I mean, it's a it's a wide range, but a lot of these are comedies, and a couple of these are action films that are follow ups to older films. The Space Jam, I would assume, is probably Space on this Jam list. Space Jam is number five on this list. Frankly, should be number one on this list. I actually have not seen it, which tells I have you everything that you need to know about the importance of it. It's trash. Nobody needs to um, see LeBron James in this movie. What else was there that came out recently? Was there a new Zoolander? There was a new Zoolander. Yeah, Zoolander 2 came in at number three on this list. This was a movie that I felt like, why the hell? Are there any Disney remakes that are on this list? There's one. Actually, I'm sorry, there's two. Is it Lion King? The new Lion King? Nope. No, that one was actually really good. That was the the live live action one? Yeah, some people didn't like it. The new Mulan? Nope. Okay. It's a Halloween-specific Oh, God, what was that called? Um, my wife loves the original. Yeah, I do, too. What's it called? I'm blanking on the name of it. Well, I can't tell you because that's the spoiler of it. I know. What is it? Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Okay. That was number 10 on this list. Uh, number nine on this list was Transformers. I, this I is remember like it. The Age of Extinction. It came out in 2014. Hasn't there been like six Transformers? That's what I was going to say. But, I mean, this is essentially like add-ons to it, which takes me to number eight. And I agree with this. Taken three. Frankly, oh, Taken, Taken two should have never happened. They should have just left it with Taken. But, you know, money grabbers with this. Number seven. I haven't seen this. Rings. 
So they made a follow-up to, to the ring. The first two rings. Oh, this I, I didn't even realize they did this. But yeah, it had an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Never saw it. Number six, yeah. Hot Tub Time Machine. Again, oh yeah, why, I forgot why, about that. Why one. are we remaking that movie? You guys have got Space Jam. This is the one I'm surprised you guys missed. I didn't see this one either because, frankly, I thought it was going to do a disservice to the movie. Independence Day. I forgot about that. Honestly, I just forgot that they had made I that. didn't see it because Will Smith wasn't in it. Uh, so the other one, similar, like just because it has Will Smith in it, honestly, uh, Men in Black, the new one. Yeah, that was I, like I the never, fourth one. I never, never saw, saw it, either. but it wouldn't technically be considered a That was the uh, one with Thor in it, wasn't it? Have you seen Bad Boys for Life yet? Yeah. I haven't seen it because my wife won't watch it with me. She's not interested. Oh, I'll watch it with you, buddy. Bad Boys 2, I loved. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. This one was good. It was good. Worth it wasn't it? Bad Boys 2 level, but it okay. was better than the first one. Uh, number two on this list was Disenchanted. It's a Disney movie from Enchanted. Okay. Never saw that one. Uh, and number one on this list, again, I agree with this, Jurassic World, oh, the new one. Yeah. Apparently, I never saw it, but apparently it was the worst one out of all of the Jurassic Parks ever made. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Heard. Like, I'm the most worthless person you'll ever meet when it comes I to movies. <laughs> Don't ever say. ask me a movie heard, question because I'm not going to know anything. I heard crickets on the back end, so really you're filling Tanner's role perfectly on that one, Greg. Yeah, great. Tanner's worthless when it comes to movies. Okay, good. So we're uh, pretty even. Yeah, Alex, so. what is your favorite sequel? Bad Boys 2. Yeah. Bad Boys 2 or Rush Hour 2? I, I think Top Gun. Might be it for me. No, yeah, the, I mean, the new Top Gun is God. honestly, it, it might be my favorite. See, movie. You know what though? <laughs> like the, the the second Godfather was freaking incredible, sure. and honestly, the second Rocky was so much better than the first Rocky. I plan so to. I sequels. plan to at some point. I still haven't seen the new Top Gun. Really? You haven't seen no. the new Have Top you seen Gun? the original? Yes, I have okay. seen the original. I haven't seen the new one. I was planning on it. It never happened, but it will happen at some point. Sit yourself down. That's one that I think you probably should have seen in a movie theater, to be honest with you. But sit yourself down. You grab yourself a cold one. Didn't live up to a... Uh, get the surround sound on and just enjoy all of it. It is one of the greatest cinematic experiences in the history of movie. And don't tell me otherwise. You got, you got to grow a mustache, too, when you watch it. All right. I'll report back. Don't know when, but it'll happen. <laughs> Coming up next... Who is the most important blue during this rebuilding process? Alex has a name that when he said it earlier today, it genuinely shocked me. He'll tell you who that is next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
King shoot it to the front. What a save, Bennington. Got a piece of it denying Velarde. You couldn't lift it over the sprawled right leg. Left side it goes. Shot gets put on. Nice save by Bennington through some traffic. Fiala back door. Shot on Bennington. Two pad stack makes the save. And the Blues keep it a 2-2 game. Going to the Rottler Pest Control penalty kill. What an absolute beauty of a save right here. Nice night last night for Jordan Bennington. Saved 32 of the 34 shots against alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, when I think about the most important blue throughout the rebuild, a bunch of names come to mind immediately. I mean, you look at the contracts, it's not hard to see. Robert Thomas has a case. Jordan Cairo has a case. Maybe if you think they're actually building around Colton Pareko on the blue line, maybe he's the most important blue through this rebuild to prove that he is worth that contract. You can make a case, as we did in the opening segment, that if he ends up working out at center, maybe it's Pavel Buchnevich. You brought up, though, before the show today to me, Jordan Bennington might be that guy. Why is that? Because Jordan Bennington is, in my opinion, the heart and soul of this Blues team moving forward. I mean, if you watch him this season, and I've seen people put up the numbers saying, oh, he hasn't been that great this season. Wrong. He's been phenomenal this season. I mean, look no further than that first shot by San Jose last night. That was nearly a goal, but you got him sprawling in his own net to keep it out. Jordan Bennington has the fight in him, and he has shown it this season to keep his team in hockey games every single night. I can't think of more than two occasions that Bennington's had a game where it's like, oh, man, he was off tonight. Arizona. Arizona. That was the most recent one. Yeah, maybe. But And honestly, in his defense, it was because the team basically quit in front of him, and he's like, well, if they're done, I'm done. But the comments Jordan Bennington has made in the past to Jeremy Rutherford and to the media, uh, the way that he has played, frankly, how he is on and off the ice, and I know some people feel like you know he's just up to his antics, Jordan Bennington is a leader, and frankly, you don't see this in the NHL anymore. I mean, the last guy that had it was Roberto Luongo, but they couldn't name him a captain. If you could name a captain, if Jordan Bennington was anything other than a goaltender, he would be the clear-cut captain for a lot of people. So you need to have some type of fight on your team when you go through this transition of younger players taking a bigger role. Joey brings it up all the time. This is why Montreal stuck with Jake Allen and gave him the money because it's a winning goaltender to compete every single night. So you have that winning focus on your roster. Jordan Bennington is a type of player that will not allow guys to just give up and go into that losing mentality. I really look at this and say you could argue Thomas and Cairo. You can argue Pareko. I saw somebody text in and say Doug Armstrong's the most important piece. It's all arguably correct, but in my opinion, you cannot go into a quick retool that the Blues are trying to do without a goaltender who can fight every night, and that's Jordan Bennington. Yeah, so I think there's a case to be made here, and one of the reasons why is because uh, for set aside the regular season here for a moment, because I've got my my quips with whether or not Jordan Bennington is a great regular season goalie. What matters is what you do in the postseason, and we know Jordan Bennington is an excellent postseason goalie. And so what matters to me about that, why it's so important, 
is because when you get out of this rebuild, you don't have to add the most important piece, which is a goalie that can get you over the yeah, top. Look at all these teams that have been searching for that. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs Edmonton right now. Oilers. Dude, like just trying to find that piece and plopping it in as the last piece, it's like being an NFL team and being like, we don't have a quarterback, but everything else is here. Good luck. How about, like, that's great. How about, You've got the roster, but if you don't have the quarterback, you're not going to win. The same thing is true at goalie. How about Vegas? I mean, Vegas has had teams that should be in the playoffs going for a Stanley Cup every single season, and they've been searching for a goaltender since they traded away Marc-Andre Fleury. The reason why I don't think he's the most important blue is because I would go back to the the name that I mentioned earlier, which is if, and it's a big if, they are actually building around Colton Pareko. If they see him as a franchise defenseman, I think he's the most important player during this rebuild. And the reason why is because if he ends up being the guy that they believe him to be, and he can be a top-pairing defenseman, and he can lead you through whatever is this next era, he can usher that in, well, then now, suddenly, all you're looking for is a pairing partner with him. And now your blue line from there becomes much easier to figure out. He, to me, is to the Blues what Jack Flaherty is to the Cardinals. If that piece works out, everything else starts to fall into place. If it doesn't, well, now you're back to the drawing board after the season, and you got to figure out how to get a number one defenseman. And much like getting an ace in Major League Baseball, that's arguably the hardest thing to find. As difficult as it is to find that goalie that ends up giving you an advantage in the postseason, man, again, all of those teams that we mentioned that have struggled in the postseason, not only do they not have the goalie, most of them also don't have a number one defenseman. There's like 10 of them in the entire league. So to me... I would say Colton Pareko actually might be the one that is the most important blue during this stretch if Doug Armstrong really believes the way it believes in him the way that we think he does. It's interesting how they're tied together because you're not wrong. I mean, you have to have somebody to take over this defense and say like, "All right, we're we're turning a new leaf here and maybe it's one of these younger players, you know, maybe we'll do a Ferrario 5 uh, once we get closer to the offseason because there are some interesting prospects that could fight for an NHL spot next season if they're able to move on from somebody on the left side with your defense, but when you get that number one defenseman, you've got to have the goaltender that has the fight. And, and if you look at the teams that are below St. Louis in the standings, you've got Vancouver, you've got Philly. And Vancouver feels like they're in a spot with a Thatcher Demko who could be that. Philly has Carter Hart who has not lived up to the expectations. But look at what San Jose just put out there last night. Like San Jose is going through a hard rebuild. They're going to be doing this for a while. Look at Detroit that just got who they believe is their goaltender. The reason that Jordan Bennington is different from all of these others and why I would put him ahead of Colton Pareko is Colton Pareko doesn't have that rah-rah mentality. Colton Pareko is the show it on the ice. As much as you and I, we love Braden Shen. Braden Shen is one of our favorite players. He's not the rah-rah mentality type of guy. He's the, I'm going to prove it on the ice. Jordan Bennington's got that rah-rah mentality, and whether it's off ice the way he speaks, on ice the way he backs it up, I mean, frankly, there's a lot of Bennington and Alexei Toropchenko these days for how he's performing. You've got to have somebody who's playing every single night, or almost every single night, especially when you look at the workload that Bennington's putting up right now, who's got that we're going to win this game mentality when you're in the middle of a retool. And frankly, if you get a really good draft pick next season and you're able to make a move for a left-handed defenseman that can spice things up, 
That's why I believe you could turn this around pretty quickly in Doug Armstrong's eyes because you've got the competitive competitiveness from that one area. The one guy that I also wanted to mention here, and it's not so much about his importance long-term, but his importance right now is Robert Thomas. Let's go back into our Wayback Machine. You don't even have to go back that far. It's just a couple of weeks ago. You remember when Craig Berube said this after a game? Our best players don't play with any passion, no emotion, and no no inspiration at all. They don't play inspired hockey. You cannot play in this league without emotion, grit, and being inspired. Um, they're getting paid lots of money, and they're not showing. They're not doing the job. End of story. That's it. Alex, that was after the Vancouver loss, where the Blues went to overtime, and that was on February twenty third. I thought Robert Thomas was bad in that game. I thought Jordan Cairo was bad in that game. I didn't think Braden Shin played a particularly good game in that one as well. But Robert Thomas is a guy that we spent a lot of time talking about afterwards. He went on to the morning show right after, gave comments and explained himself well. I thought acquitted himself well in terms of what went wrong, how he's going to respond, and so on and so forth. We heard the next day, the president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, came out and made his comments about where the where the program was at. I thought Robert Thomas was basically called out, maybe not specifically by name, but more or less by name in that one. And I think Jordan Kyrie, you could put into the same category, all those guys. Robert Thomas, I think, has responded incredibly well since then. In his last six games, since he was called out by the head coach, three goals, four assists, that's seven points. He's a plus two on the ice. Nothing about those numbers really stands out and says, like, holy cow, this guy has really responded. But when you're watching the games, he feels like he's in command now. It feels like he is no longer just, like, letting the game come to him. Now it feels like he is kind of pushing the pace of the game. He is making sure that his line is in the right spots. You look at the faceoff wins for him, 57%, 53%, 75%, 56%. Are there a couple of games where you'd like him to be better, specifically last night? Sure, but for the most part, he's been good on the dot. He's just stepped up in a way that I wanted to see after a comment like that. You never know how a young player is going to respond to being called out by their head coach. I think Robert Thomas deserves a lot of credit for responding the right way. The game that impressed me the most for Robert Thomas was the L.A. Kings matchup. And I know they lost that game, I had to remember correctly. But his stat line in that game had a goal, was a minus one, but he was 75% on the faceoff and played 20 minutes and 47 seconds. And Ajay Kopitar's line did not score a point. Craig Berube specifically said after the game, I was so impressed by what he did, and we called, we, we challenged him yes. to go up against the Kopitar line. That challenge that JR had in his article, the quote from Craig Berube was, you're going up against Kopitar, and we expect you to be better than him tonight. And he was better than him that night. That's what I want to see from my number one def- uh, centerman moving forward. So Robert Thomas answered the bell there, and I'm absolutely with you and something Joey said post game last night stuck out to me he said it's it's pretty telling that and I know Thomas and Kairou played together with Torpchenko last night and they of course had that goal but Thomas and Kairou have been broken up on the power play in a few games Thomas and Kairou have been separated on lines I, I do look at this as 
Craig Berube is tasking Robert Thomas with taking on a leadership role, and Robert Thomas is taking that, and I believe Craig Berube is trying to figure out what does this look like when Thomas and Kyrou aren't together because it creates depth, but it also might be a little bit of a wake-up call for Kyrou to say, like, hey, we need you to take this step like Robert Thomas this season. And Thomas has answered the bell, and frankly, if we're on this topic, Jordan Kyrou deserves some credit for his last few games because he's played much better than the struggles he was going through a couple of weeks ago. Numbers might not show it, but he's getting some real scoring chances, and if they start going in, he starts getting a little more puck luck going his way. We're going to see him finish this season with 35-plus goals. I think that is very much in the range of outcomes for for Jordan Kyrou. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, you guys are all in on the Battlehawks, huh? I'm looking forward to the home opener this weekend, but I need a little help explaining something to me about them. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I need some help with something, Alex. I just don't understand it. I hope that the audience will bear with me here. Is it with your dishwasher again, buddy? No, nope, There's an outlet underneath your sink that you plug. Thank you. Appreciate the heads up there. From the 314, don't you dare pee in my Battlehawks Cheerios, BK. Some things are more important than sports. Are yeah. they the best team? No. Do I even care? No. But St. Louis is a great city that deserves better than what they have been dealt. It's going to be awesome this weekend. I can't wait to fill the dome. Kaka. Guys, have you seen what the TV ratings have been so far for the Battlehawks? I have. It's insane to me. I Last weekend, the Battlehawks TV rank ratings were the equivalent of the Blues ratings combined with the Illinois basketball game ratings and the SLU basketball game ratings. So if you combined the audience for the Blues, Illinois, and SLU games you would basically equal that of the Battlehawks game last weekend. I'm not telling anybody what they should or should not watch. I have personally been drawn in by this team and the A.J. McCarron storyline, the way that they were able to win their first couple of games. Like, I am even interested in the Battlehawks now. <laughs> I'm surprised, honestly. I, I'm not even kidding here. I'm surprised by how many of you are so interested still the second time around with the Battlehawks. Alex, earlier today, the St. Louis Battlehawks announced, they tweeted this out, you asked, we delivered, let's fill the 400 level of the dome. Hot damn. There's going to be like 35 or 40,000 people at this dome uh, over the weekend for this game against the Arlington Renegades. How? How? What, what, what is going on here? What, what am I missing about the appeal of this team? So, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch. I'm not saying you shouldn't be interested in, in it. I'm surprised by the mass appeal that it has had specifically in St. Louis because I don't think that it has that same mass appeal anywhere else other than here. Well, the 314 answers it perfectly for you because call is the law, BK. Call sure. is the law. But I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of dynamics to it. First of all, in terms of viewership, with the Blues in Illinois compared to the Battlehawks, I mean, 
I'm saying this as somebody who does pre and post for the Blues. Careful. And I want you to listen to me all you want, but I could understand how the ratings would fall a little bit because the Blues have been struggling. And frankly, I mean, my dad is a perfect example, a huge Blues fan, but he's like, meh, it's tough to watch right now. Understandably so. Illinois, I would imagine, is the exact same way, but the Battlehawks, because one, it's once a week, and two, they're starting off successfully, it's must-watch television for people. But on top of it, I also put the betting side of it in because, frankly, there's this little bit of a dry period where football ends and then you got college basketball. What do we do? Welcome back, XFL. Frankly, it was a perfect time for them to start. But I was also having a conversation with my buddy Mark uh, Vanderweel from the DraftKings a couple of weeks ago, and he said it's, it's just a social event for us to go to and also celebrate the team. He's got an entire bus no. that's taking an entire section. I want to be very clear here. I get the appeal of going to the games. I get why. The no, it's a, it's a social event to watch. Like, he gets people together to watch okay. the game. Maybe maybe that's the part that I'm surprised by. Because I totally understand why people want to go see this. It's the same thing. It, like, it's different, of course, because the MLS is bigger. But it's the same reason why I understood the appeal and the excitement around the MLS coming to St. Louis. Because it's a celebration as much as anything else. The, the Battlehawks is, uh, in a re- weird roundabout way, and I'm not saying this in spite of the league, it is essentially a minor league football league. That, that's what the XFL is trying to become. And if it becomes that for the NFL, it is going to be incredibly successful in doing so. What I am surprised by is the mass appeal that it has in St. Louis specifically for people to sit down and watch on Sundays when they're on the road. Because the first three games they've played have all been elsewhere. That part is surprising to me. Does the sports gambling play into it? I, I bet you it does. Does the spite to spite um, Cronky. Stan Kroenke play into it? I'm sure it does. Somebody on the text line says, uh, tell me that you don't understand St. Louis sports without telling me that you don't understand St. Louis sports. Uh, guys, Tim McKernan has been asking the same thing basically from day one. He is born and bred here in St. Louis. This is not just a me question. This is a lot of people wondering, like, man, they struck a nerve with the XFL in St. Louis, and we're trying to understand it and, and like, other leagues capture this because there's something here, clearly. I really do feel like it's a lot of it. Like, if you had to make a pie chart of this, m- most of the pie chart would be and I don't want to say spite of Stan Kroenke because I think a lot of football fans in St. Louis are are not past it, but kind of like they don't want Stan Kroenke to take up a majority of their life. Absolutely. But I also feel like there's a little bit of spite there with it. Like my cousin was a huge Rams fan. He still likes the Rams. But he is a massive Battlehawks fan because he just wants football back. And he's watched. We, we, uh, we golfed during the first week of the Battlehawks. And while we're golfing, he has the phone in front of him. And he's watching everything and he's celebrating it. So I think the excitement is tied into it. But I would imagine a large sum of that pie chart is still a little bit of spite towards Stan Kroenke. Is it possible it's as simple as people like football and this is the only football that's on? <laughs> Maybe, but if that's the case, like how is how is like? And I know the NFL has screwed St. Louis over multiple times, and St. Louis is like, ah, oh, we don't need it. But you'd think the NFL notices that, like, damn, it, it, it's it's surprising to me. It's honestly maybe the better frame for uh, phrasing for it. It is impressive to me. That's Yeah, that's a perfect phrasing for it. The way that St. Louis has gotten behind this team, and I, I don't 
know how other teams or leagues capture it here in St. Louis, but it says something about this town as a sports town that a minor league football team has struck such a nerve that it was able to get last week 4% of the viewing audience, which doesn't sound like a lot, but by TV ratings, this is a ton, to watch them on a Sunday, to sit down and watch the game in week three. This isn't just some, like, we're curious about it, let's see what the league looks like in week one. You're now a few weeks into this thing, and people are still interested. And then week four, when you have your home opener, people are all in to the degree of having, like, 40,000 people going to the game. Like, this is... This is honestly amazing that St. Louis is showing up in this way. Grant, are, are you watching the Battle Hawks? Have you been captured by this team and this league again? So it's funny because I had somewhere to go last week and the Battle Hawks game was on and I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch the first couple drives, see how it goes. I recorded it actually and like I'm going to come home and watch it later. And then it kept like pulling me in and pulling me in. And I ended up watching the first half. I left at halftime and I was only planning on watching one drive. I just think the fact that they were undefeated going into last week, I think that had a huge part in the TV ratings as well, because everybody wanted to see if they'd be able to extend that. And even though they weren't able to extend that the way they came back at the end and almost pulled it off in a crazy fashion again, I think that's also part of the reason why people are so drawn to this team and they play to the style that St. Louis is all about and loves. And that goes to the head coach, Anthony Beck, who's been all about that even before the game started. So I think this team has done such a good job of just channeling everything St. Louis is about. And they're playing to the demographic perfectly. And people are all about it. I'm super invested in it, honestly. And (laughs) I, I was expecting to be excited about it. I don't think I was expecting it to be to this point though. From the 636, Cronky hate is a very small take. St. Louis is a sports town and competitive ways of living. It's a character trait in all of us who grew up here, just like how competitive we are with what high school you went to. Look, I, I've been born and raised in St. Louis. Like, my whole life has been St. Louis, and I'm as, like, into sports teams as you can ask for. Diehard Blues fan, diehard Cardinals fan when the Rams were here. But, like... I don't like it doesn't feel that way because I know a lot of people who also were born and raised in St. Louis and it's not like a a character trait of competitiveness where you're just tied to the team. It does feel like it's a love because they took something from you and you've just been dying to support something and now you have it back. And somebody also said it's because it's an original St. Louis thing. Guys, this is based in Houston, Texas. (laughs) It's not even a St. Louis (laughs) thing. They travel here for their home game. Uh, That was one of the things that I thought was going to make it less appealing this time around because the last time it was a grassroots thing and it was more... It was closer timeline-wise to the Kroenke thing. And it was like, I totally get this. Like, this one, the first time around, makes sense to me, and it is not surprising in the least bit that St. Louis is supporting it in the way that they are. The second time around with this league, where they're based out of Texas, they're traveling up here, and they're having these games, and, like, the team I don't think is as good as it was the first time around, to be totally honest with you, like, upfront and honest. It's a fine team, but it's... It's not as good as it was the first time around, and they don't have the same like local ties that they did the first time around as well. When they had uh, Ladamian Washington on the squad, I think Marcus Lucas, if I'm not mistaken, was on that squad as well. Like they they had some hometown kids that were a part of it. 
this one I think is just as simple as people like football. <laughs> this is a team that gives them the chance to watch football and they're into it. Like they're into the league. And it has a way of pulling you in. A.J. McCarron has a way of winning you over. The team having the comebacks has a way of winning you over. I would also add this. I don't think anybody's like living and dying with the wins or losses. No. I think it's just fun. And maybe this is something that I underestimated. It's totally possible. I do that all the time. <laughs> I underestimated the importance of people just having fun watching football for three hours and having it as a hometown team. And that's enough. For a lot of people, that's enough. So I, I am excited to watch what the scene looks like as the Battlehawks take the field at the Dome. I think it's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. It will, I don't think, be the same as it was for MLS just because of how big of a moment that was. But, man, it's not going to feel all that different. It's going to be an unbelievable environment at the Dome uh, for the Battlehawks. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Coming up in next, we're going to play a game of one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. We'll hit the rewind coming up next with a preview on what we can expect for City SC oh, this baby. weekend. Let's start with this from the three one four. One's got to go for twenty twenty three only. This is a Cardinals edition. Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker. Dylan Carlson or Lars Newtbar? O'Neal, Walker, Carlson, or Newtbar? Alex, which one's got to go? So it's Dylan Carlson. Jordan Walker, we all know the phenom is ready to take over. Tyler O'Neal at best is an MVP for you. And has anybody else been paying attention to Lars Newtbar in Dude, Japan? He is taking over the World Baseball Classic. He is, I'm not kidding, the superstar of the event so far. This man might own the continent Asia by the end of the World Baseball Classic. He is going, if he wants to... He has a chance to be, for baseball television, and this is a weird thing to say, 
what Charles Barkley is for basketball television. That's when a all really good comp. Like he, he has that kind of personality. It's just infectious, dude. You want to watch him. He's got kids now doing the pepper grinder on camera. So, <laughs> in Japan. In Japan. So this kid, uh, he's definitely on here. So unfortunately, it's uh, DC. I'm with you. DC, Dylan Carlson is the one. He doesn't have the highest ceiling of these guys. I am going with Dylan Carlson as the one that's got to go. One got to go. I know you don't want to get in on this one, Grant. <laughs> Movie franchise edition. How many of these has Grant even seen edition? Rocky. I've seen that one. Fast and the Furious? I've seen some of them. Hunger Games? Nope. Matrix? No. Okay, so uh, one out of three. Yeah, I was going to say one out of three. One's got to go, Alex, with the Rocky franchise, Fast and the Furious franchise, Hunger Games, or the Matrix. Okay, either of you one get rid of Rocky franchise, we will fight um, because Rocky is the GOAT of franchises. And I love me some Fast and the Furious. It just got really bad at like seven. Once Paul Walker passed away. When they went to space. Yeah, when they went to space, it lost me. But all the way up to that, it was really good. So in all honesty, I think Matrix has to go here because I'm not a huge fan of the Hunger Games, but they were entertaining. Matrix, the first one sucked. The second one got me, and the third one was awful. So Matrix has got to go. See, I at least know what the Hunger Games is about. I don't even know what Matrix is about. I'm not going to lie. Well, you got to take the red pill or the blue pill. Oh, okay. I kind of understand the concept then. (laughs) God, I love you, Grant. Uh, One's got to go movie franchise edition. I am going with the Matrix as well. I actually like rewatching the Hunger Games. Fast and the Furious is a classic. I can't get rid of Rocky. Everybody on the text line will yell at me. Uh, so I'm going with The Matrix as well. Also, I really like the Creed franchise, and that wouldn't exist without the, the Rocky one yet? ones. I have not. I'm planning on apparently it, though. We're going to the movie soon. Apparently they've said he's, like, about to start another franchise with this Creed. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, this one didn't have Stallone in it. So I'm amazed. I haven't seen it yet either. I'm amazed that it was so successful, but apparently it was dominant. I love Michael B. Jordan. I'm a fan since he was in The Wire. Um, yeah. Fruitvale Station, I thought was excellent early on in his career as well. He's he's a really good actor. I'm a big fan. So uh, I love me some Creed. One's got to go Blues Prospect Edition. Alex, this is right up your lane. Grant, this is up your lane as well. Jimmy Snugrud, Zach Bolduc. Jake Neighbors or both first round picks the Blues acquired this year via trade. Let's start with you, Grant. Which one's got to go? Snugarud, Bolduke, Neighbors, or both first round picks that they acquired? Uh, I think I'm. I think I'm getting rid of the first two round picks for one reason. We kind of know what Jake Neighbors is. I love the way Jake Neighbors has played. People are raving about Jimmy Snugarud. And people have also said really good things about Zach Bolduc. So you kind of know a little bit of what you have in each of those players. And when you draft players late in the first round, you don't know exactly what you have in them. So for that reason, I think I'm sticking with the three prospects that we have. I am going with the first round picks that the Blues acquired. Snuggerud looks like he's going to be special. Bolduke has the upside. I'll be honest, I considered Bolduke as the guy that I'm getting rid of because he's still far away. I heard an interview the other day with Doug Armstrong where he said that Snuggerud and Bolduke are two or three years away conservatively. Uh, that's a little concerning to me. Not that they're like bad or anything, but just the timeline. I, I do, I would like to see it progress maybe a little quicker than that. So I gave serious consideration to Bolduke on this. Neighbors is probably going to be in your top nine next year. 
the two first round picks, I think the overwhelming likelihood is that they will be trading those. So not only do I think that's what I would get rid of, I think that's what Doug Armstrong's going to end up getting rid of as well. This is going to sound crazy to you guys. I'm actually going to get rid of Bullduke. Uh, because I do think that you're a couple of years away from Bullduke, and I wonder how Bullduke fits into what they're trying to mold with their team in a couple of years. Here's why I would like to keep, and I'm like only thinking I'd like to keep one of those first round picks that you acquired. I believe one of those is going to be within the 17 to 23 range because somebody's going to get bounced in that first round, whether it's New York or Toronto. And there's a couple of defensemen that have the potential to be top defensemen in this draft that you could get somewhere between 17 and 20. And I don't know if you have that in your system right now. So you, with Snuggerud, with Neighbors, with the guys that you have on your roster right now, I think I would move on from Bullduke and I would keep those first-round picks because I believe you could get a defenseman with one of those. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going to hit the rewind coming up next with our expectations for City SC this weekend. I think they've got a lot to prove tomorrow. We'll explain coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who's done a fantastic job running the board for us today. Back in the studio, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've been broadcasting out of the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. Hey, Mizzou tips off coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, and you can show off your NCAA tournament knowledge by signing up to play in this year's 101 ESPN Bracket Madness Pick'em Challenge. All you got to do is register over at 101ESPN.com, and once the bracket is set on Sunday... You can make your picks for this year's tournament. Free to enter, the top t- top score, excuse me, will take home a $250 Fanatics gift card and a 101 ESPN prize pack. See the contest rules and get signed up to play in the Bracket Madness now at 101ESPN.com. It's all presented by Neutral and by Twin Peaks. Alex, before we go today, I wanted to make sure that we talked about St. Louis City SC, who's uh, got their next game coming up in Portland this weekend. The Timbers are 1-0-1 on the season, and last year they missed the playoffs by one point. This is a solid team that they're going up against, not a great one. Two years ago, they were the runner-up in the finals, though. They do have some of that championship pedigree. Alex, I think that based on everything that we've seen from them thus far, uh, from City, there's reason to believe they will be better than any of us expected. But it's not just us. It's the national analysts that remain skeptical on this team. We talked to Taylor Twelman earlier this week, and he basically said, hey, guys, it is really early. It's two games. They've got more than 30 to go. If they can keep this up, sure, they'll be one of the best stories in the MLS this year. But Twelman seemed very skeptical that they will be able to do exactly that. I think this is one of those games where we're looking for affirmation, where it's like, are our eyes deceiving us, or is this team better than anybody gave them credit for? I would lean on the, this team's better than we expected. And I think that what we've seen so far is real because of the way that they play. 
I've got my questions on how that looks in the middle of the summer when it's going to be hot as hell outside. But I do think right now this is a style that works, and I think it's a style that can continue to have success. What are you looking for tomorrow from City? Honestly, it's the uh, affirmation on the offense, and I think that's what Twelman was getting at when he was with us earlier this week, saying like they just the way they play offensively, that suffocating brand that we loved in the first two matches. It's tough to sustain that, and teams will start to understand how they go about that, and frankly, that's what's kind of intriguing about this one. I don't know much about Portland, but just looking at their stat line so far, they're a decent team defensively, maybe not the best offensive team, and we know that this City SC team has doesn't win the possession meter at the end of the match, so can they sustain that offensively, but you're right, like, when does the honeymoon period end? That would be my question with City SC. And maybe it doesn't end until the first season is over for City SC. But that that feeling of, oh, we're the new kids on the block and people are second-guessing us, that does fade away at some point because teams will start expecting that performance from you. Is that this match, or does it take a few more weeks? Yeah, there is a feeling of inevitability with City SC right now, and I'm not saying of like impending doom. No, the opposite. There is a feeling of inevitability that the other team will make a horrific mistake in their own zone, and it ends up leading to a goal for City. Yeah. You just feel like that's something that's going to happen in every game. Does that happen in this one? Is that is that able to be forced once again for City? So that's something that I'll be watching for in this game. It's a late one tomorrow on the West Coast in Portland. We'll all be paying attention for that. Mizzou back in action this afternoon right after we get off the air. I am certainly looking forward to that one. I'm going to jet home to make sure we watch that. The Selection Sunday show is coming up this weekend. We'll be out at uh, Max and Alton next week to be able to broadcast live Thursday and Friday. We're going to be watching the first round together. I am hoping, I am praying that Mizzou's able to get a victory today against the Tennessee Volunteers. Keep boosting that stock for the NCAA tournament. By the way, we're going to be busy next Thursday and Friday. I'm going to busy, be busy next Wednesday from 5 to 7 Ooh, at buddy. Hooters in Fairview Heights. Uh-oh. Kick off St. Patrick's Day in the college basketball tournament. There's going to be nothing like it. We've got two new basketball bundles of Hooters famous wings, buffalo shrimp, fries served up with an ice cold beer next Wednesday, 5 to 7 o'clock with me at Hooters in Fairview Heights. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.